everybody. This is Bevan. Welcome to Bevan, a femme over 40 and her friends podcast. I'm your host, Bevan. I've said my name three times. It's time to start the show. Today, I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend and former roommate, Hadassah Damien. I call her Damien, um, but it's technically her last name now. Um, But basically, she is a treasure. She is a light. I feel beyond gratitude. I don't know what's above gratitude for getting to live with her for four years, but like, I really, I had it good when I lived in Brooklyn and um, we had this beautiful big apartment in Crown Heights and she was working at the time at a nonprofit that did nonviolent communication. And just by living with her, just by having someone in my life on a day-to-day basis who started conversations with, I'm curious about, or um, I, I'm, I'm wondering, like just very disarming ways of speaking that really helped me because at the time... I was like very early in my Al-Anon recovery and I was really working at the time to become a person who was not defensive because I think a lot of my defensiveness uh, early in life had a lot to do with just my ego and needing to protect um, some image of needing to always be right or something like that. And when people are approached with curiosity um, or check-ins and things like that, that are just much more like uh, egalitarian and humble. It is very disarming to defensive people um, and can really engage a lot of healing, which is what I experienced together. Um, we had a bathroom. We talked a little bit about it in the episode that was covered in inspirational quotes. Um, and to this day, I still maintain the practice of having my bathroom be, uh, my friend Jess calls it my Oprah bathroom <laughs> because it's just so full of like the things I want to aspire to beliefs that I don't yet have like centered in me. I just put it up on the wall and just remind myself again and again and again through osmosis about, you know, whatever it is I feel I need to learn. Um, and what's been really fun and something I really admired Damien for a long time is, uh, since we've, so I watched her create her, um, company. We talk a lot about in this episode, ride free, fearless money. Um, I watched her create it at our kitchen table in 2015, Uh, while we were still living together and I was preparing to move to California and she was just building this like empire to kind of help other people learn the things she had learned about money and money management. And since that time, she has just skyrocketed in terms of like how she experiences the world, how she experiences money um, emotionally and mentally. Uh, She shared with me, I don't think we talked about it in this episode, but she shared with me that she was like, well, if I'm doing all this coaching work with people and finances, I really need to get a handle on the mentality that creates wealth. And I too have been on that journey, just doing it in different ways uh, with different folks. But it's really, it is a mindset because 97% of people are raised to believe that um, they're, they're not going to get money. Money is bad um, that like people with money are bad or shame around money or blocks to money. And 3% of people are taught how to build wealth and how to have an abundance and prosperity mindset. And to know that like money is always coming. And when you have that energy, I mean, money is just energy in 3d form. It's a um, it's literal currency that we use to replace bartering. So, you know, if you, you're basically always trading your time for money at your job, right? So you're plugging in hours and getting dollars back and then you're trading dollars for products rather than just trading your your work for products. Um, although I'm a big fan of bartering. I love being outside of capitalism. Um, but it's uh, it's also a mindset. And the thing to remember, I think, one of the fundamental truths about money is money is just a thing. Um, people are good or bad. Money is not good or bad. Money is just a tool. And um, 
and what money does is it just amplifies your character. So people who have a lot of money who are a-holes are going to be a-holes with money and people who um, are sweet, generous, wonderful people who have money are going to do sweet, generous, wonderful things with their money and vice versa. Like there can be, you know, people without money who are a-holes and people without money who are sweet, generous, and awesome. And um, I think something that is truly revolutionary is learning how to get uncomfortable and grow and do something different and be willing to think differently and be willing to open yourself up to other mindsets and other ways of being. Um, it's one of the primary things I think I do in the world is just teach people new ways to think. Um, it's so funny. Like when I was 21, 22 years old, I got on my, um, body positive path and learned to not hate my body and learn to kind of love my body. Actually, now I really love my body um, and really like be totally disinvested with beauty culture. And that was just a mindset shift. I just had to be introduced to people who thought in a different way, learn how they thought and adapt it to my life. Um, and yeah, it was totally uncomfortable. And yeah, I did lose some friends and I lost. Um, but I mean, what kind of loss, right? Like if somebody uh, was only my friend because I was fat and self-loathing, they're a real bad match for me uh, to be the wonderful human that I am in the world and slows down my impact on the world. So anyway, I hope that you will enjoy uh, my conversation with Damien. I think it's great. And um, and there's just so much to talk to her about in excess of what we started with today. But um, I hope you'll enjoy it and I hope you'll get some empowerment out of it. But first, the best way to support this podcast is through my Patreon page. Patreon is a membership support site that allows creators like me to be supported by people who value their work. And um, I'm able to provide specific membership benefits through this platform, which is great. You can join anytime, cancel anytime. Uh, Patreon makes it super easy. Um, it's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash f-k-d-p, which stands for Fat Kid Dance Party, which is my aerobic class that I created um, just out of a love for dance aerobics and a love for people of all bodies and wanting to sort of create an actual all levels aerobics class, which it's so much fun. It's a lot like, um, I don't know, I'm a very like flamboyant personality. So kind of imagine like a Richard Simmons, Miss Piggy hybrid, but like just from a classic dance aerobics, like enjoyment with um, a lot of stretching, a lot of mindfulness and a lot of um mindset talk, because I think Fat Kid Dance Party is as much about mindset as it is about movement. And um, so part of my Patreon is at the $25 a month level, you can join my weekly aerobics class. There are always um, at least four classes available. There's five right now because of the corona. Um, so there's a 10 minute, a 20 minute, a 45 minute, and two almost hour long classes available at any time for you to choose from on your own schedule. Uh, you're going to have to lead yourself. That's part of bossing up in life is making a choice to do the self-care even when you don't want to. But um, it's going to be really fun. And I usually record my aerobics in the woods. So it's you, me, and some trees. Uh, I always like to imagine the trees are people dancing with me. Um, a couple other levels that I uh, have in my Patreon, uh, Bevan's Bites, which is an exclusive podcast just for members of my Patreon. Um, it has self-care nuggets, self-love, um, questions from folks who are in uh, my Patreon asking for advice, and also a lot of Reiki healings and meditations. I'm very proud, actually. If you join, you can just pop right into the Bevan's Bites tag. Uh, there's like almost 60 recordings in there, and it's a lot of good stuff. So it's a treasure trove of wisdom that I'm happy to share. And, um, and also just updates from me that you don't hear anywhere else. 
And, um, and at the $55 level, if you want to ball it, I do a quarterly self-care package. So it includes some Reiki infused tea and a few other self-care goodies to help you vibe up your life. I am almost entirely funded by Patreon right now. Like it, it turned into, I was doing a lot of events and gigs and now that the Corona's happened, those things are not happening. So it's interesting and really, I'm so grateful for the Patreon because it is literally how I'm funding my life right now. So Thank you from the bottom of my heart if you are a supporter. Thank you from the bottom of my heart if you are just thinking about becoming a supporter. Um, I feel so honored and grateful to do the work that I do. And um, this podcast is entirely because of that Patreon. So just please, thank you so much for joining. Um, I want to welcome new Patreon this week, Mac from Ohio. Thank you so much for joining Mac. And I hope that you get value out of it. So now that I have talked about my Patreon, it's time to start the show. Here's me and Damien. Uh, Hadassah Damien, welcome to the podcast. Bevan, darling, thank you for having me. We've like thought about doing this podcast together for eight years or something. Something like that. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So. Um, just a little background. I'll also do a pre-roll with an intro for you, but um, you. Okay. Hadassah Damien is my former roommate from Brooklyn, so I am through the magic of technology and how blessed are we by the internet? Like I get to see your little eyeballs right now while we're having this conversation because Zoom exists and this kind of technology exists. So across space and time, here we are. Even though we used to just be in this very living room together. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Or my favorite moments were really kitchen talk at the kitchen table late at night uh, with you smoking out the window. And And you like making pork. Yes. (laughs) I learned how to really slow cook meats while I was living with you. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At some point, I realized I was kind of becoming a witch with a cauldron with my crock pot because, <laughs> because I was always cooking something in it and like something nourishing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then like ripping it the fuck apart, you know? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I was also telling uh, Damien before we started that I brewed a cup of decaf coffee for our conversation because I think of her when I think of the smell of coffee because so I've lived in her for four years. <laughs> and you've seen, you know, I mean, today I've had like a regular for me amount of coffee, which is probably somewhere between like mm, four to seven cups. No, more than four. Definitely five to seven. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> but has switched to seltzer. <laughs> I've switched. I've moved to the hydration part of my day. I do. I'm grown. I self-care now. <laughs> um, that's amazing. Okay. So a uh, little background about Hadassah Damien, which, I mean, you're, you've been everything. You've been a performance artist. You've been a punk. You've been a community organizer, researcher, archivist. Um, you worked for a nonviolent communication foundation. <laughs> Like communications director, print designer, you know, like collective member, technologist, data director, um, blockchain, you know, ideas coach. Now I'm a banker. Like I, it, you know, there are things I haven't done that are definitely (laughs) still on my list, but I'm blessed to have done a ton of things. Oh, and also love you know, the million jobs that I had in my 20s, working in vintage for many years, working for like a leather goods provider, working, you know, like having my own business, like doing like freelance 
graphic design and like all the other stuff, working at a university. I've had, at some point I just stopped counting, but I've like had enough jobs that I'm really, really resilient to like what might come next. But it's, it's made me someone who's like, yeah, if you want to try something, try it. Worst case scenario, you're bad at it or it sucks and you stop. Yeah. Or if you're you, uh, you learn something from it and apply it somewhere else because mm-hmm. uh, you're constantly synthesizing information from multiple streams. I feel like, you know, to me, that's, I feel like I live to learn. I'm like, how do I take something that has come in, <laughs> however it came in, right? Whether I read it, I experienced it, I like bore witness to it and then help it to like, create an ever more realistic mental model. Um, And that's helpful for me, like as a systems thinker, because I've often like, well, how does stuff work? But like, how does it really work? You know, like, how does, how does capitalism really work? Like, how the fuck did this like, like, but really who built white supremacy? And how was it colonialism? Was it earlier? You know, and like, I think for me, I really want to understand systems because I'm really interested in like dismantling oppressive systems. And I got to tell you, Bevan, and you know this part, but like, I was realizing recently that 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 is because I was raised by like evangelical Christians who just had like logic that wasn't logical. Like they would on one hand be like, well, you know, the religious texts say this and da, 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 da. But when you line that up to reality, it made no fucking sense. You know, it's like, well, things are supposed to be like this. And I'm like, well, that's a weird interpretation of these words because reality shows me something else. So, you know, I grew up in such a confusing, <laughs> like, like whack religious kind of environment that like once I was able to, you know, break out into my own thinking, I just like couldn't be stopped to like, I want to reality test everything. <laughs> and I want to understand how people end up with these like, whack points of view you know where like my one parent was like well women are always supposed to listen to men and do what they say and that's why you're gonna do what i say and but i was like that's interesting because you're wrong and i'm actively doing what i want so you just can't be you're you're not right i do yeah (laughs) it's not how the world actually functions so for yeah from an early age, I've been like super interested in synthesizing and putting things together because I want to know how the world got put together the way it was. And I also just am like, no hypocritical bullshit. Hard no. Yeah. Full stop. Um, Tell me more about growing up. And like, I know, I don't even have to ask you if you were different. I know you were wildly different when you were growing (laughs) up. Total weirdo. (laughs) I mean, I I grew up in Western New York, um, outside of Rochester, New York. And like, you know, I mean, I had an experience uh, that was very like, it's funny because it was like, my parents were like class aspirational um, and privileged education, like moved us into a suburb where like the, so the schools were really good, sort of like classic, like class aspirational people do, um, you know, bought this house that was like on five acres of land. I like would wander in the forest, like as a little kid, like deer paths, you know, um, but they uh, didn't actually really, really struggled to make money. (laughs) Um, And so I grew up with this like duality of like being white, like having people who like, you know, in like really valued like creativity and, you know, books and like all these things that really, I think set me up for success in a lot of ways. Um, But then also at the same time, like 
my dad was the evangelical prepper who bought like two years of dried food were, and then we, we ended up living off of when he like couldn't make money for a long time because he's just couldn't really probably still can't function in society. Um, you know, and so my experience was also one of like feeling different because I was like, we were in this kind of like quote, nice suburb where like everybody else's, it seemed like to me, <laughs> everybody else's family, like had shit, new things that just, we never, never had. There was no new stuff um, in my life. And that pained me, you know, when I was like in middle school, right. Um, or like, you know, growing up where it's like, everyone's going on the class trip and there's no class trip for me or even basic stuff. Like everyone's going to sex ed class and I'm not allowed because my Christian family is like, we don't talk about that. <laughs> um, you know, so I think I like often had the sense of being kind of like outside of the like social world that I was in. And then when I was young, uh, like, I don't know, 11, 12, my parents got divorced. And like, my mom, I think had just really never intended to work. Like her plan was be a mom, like and be an awesome mom. Um, and so I think for her getting divorced was really, really hard for her. I saw it be really hard for her. Um, and she didn't have like marketable job skills. So she cleaned houses, she worked at a daycare, she ended up being a teacher's assistant. Like these are the types of care work that are low paid, right? And so we, once we moved out, <clears throat> um, we were in like different like public housing units. Like she still lives in a public housing in outside of Rochester. Um, and so, you know, it's like, I both was blessed by having like actually a lot of friends, <laughs> like wherever I went, but especially once we like moved, you know, into the housing projects or like other just sort of like little kids I could run around with. Um, and eventually we moved from the like suburbs of Rochester to the city of Rochester, which, you know, for me was both like picking me up out of my like social circle um, and dropping me into this new place. And city of Rochester is like much more racially diverse than the suburbs of Rochester, New York were. Um, and in particular, I got like kind of dropped in this high school that was like super, it was like super rough. It, you know, um, it, we're talking like metal detectors at the door and like the dean of students like walking around, like a lot of walkie talkies, like a lot of violence um, and a lot of policing of the students and the student body is mostly black, right? So like that school was about, it was about controlling students. It wasn't about educating students. And so I was in 10th grade and I was like, this is bullshit. I was already, you know, like really smart, not about hypocrisy. And so I just started being like, yeah, I don't, I don't need to do this. Like, and by that point I had like started making like punk rock friends. And so I was just like hanging out, doing other things that weren't the like non-education I was getting in high school. And, um, I, you know, God bless, but like some art teacher noticed <laughs> they're like, you are not coming to school. You're like kind of obviously smart and we're going to transfer you. So I got special transferred into the art high school in Rochester. Um, and did my last two years there. Um, and that was where I started to meet queer people. It was the art high school. Um, I was in the theater department in the costume department doing my thing. So it's in a lot of ways, it's like, a, that's the miracle that like got me to graduate high school. Cause I was about to just get, get the hell out of there. Um, and it was very, it was tumultuous, right? Like basically after my parents got divorced, my mom tapped out like emotionally. She was just now that I'm an adult, I can look back and be like, that was just really rough for her. Mm -hmm. um, 
but what it did mean was that like from like a pretty young age I was like needed to be self-sufficient and like find my people in the world um but I feel you know I guess blessed or lucky or just resilient that I've been able to do that yeah totally um oh Vicky it must have been so hard Uh, I know god bless her god bless her she's got Uh, a little dog now she's fine (laughs) Uh, is your brother older or younger my brother is younger yeah yeah was it um did you feel like you had to take care of him or did you just kind of leave him to his own devices you know it was this thing where like I look back it's kind of tragic like my brother was like kind of always torpy and like but because like my parents dynamic was like my dad was very violent he was like very physically abusive and um verbally abusive and financially abusive he just like checked he checked the boxes um but what really happened was that like I ended up like in some ways like replicating some of that violence towards my brother where I would just like big sister harassed him and so when I look back I'm like oh I was just like replicating power the way I saw it being demonstrated with by the people around me but then once we like moved to the to the city I was also very protective of him so it was like two things happening like and I also would like feel protective of him like with like the things that were going on in my house like I was protective but also mean like big sister um in a messed up situation kind of (laughs) scenario yeah yeah real. it's very real so you met queer people at art high school is that when you came out yes yeah absolutely like i got to art high school i must have been 16 and then yeah it was that was the year that i ended up like yeah like kissing my first my first kiss with a girl i had this best friend um her name is nikki she was like we met at like the sort of the the gnarly high school and um she was a senior and i was a uh, sophomore or whatever so she graduated and then i went on to the art high school but like we stayed friends and we're hanging out and then eventually one day like we just hung out all the time like you know like that fucking deep like teen girl friendship that's like is it sex is it besties are we sisters are we gonna fuck like that and eventually we we fucked and I was like I remember we were like in this punk house she lived in and they're like one of the other roommates was this like queer woman and like like we hooked up and then I was like holy shit like it just felt like ding 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 this is this is also part of what I've been feeling you know that about difference um (laughs) and I found like one of the other like the other queer woman who lived in the building and I was like me and Nikki like just hooked up yay you know I was like I think I was just really excited to like have another way to like connect with someone who was queer and to like be present I don't know just to like be like oh I understand more about myself now and then like through most of my like the rest of my time in Rochester I was like very bisexual pansexual I dated women I dated dudes um and it really was like once I after I finished high school, I went to community college for three years. Um, And then after that, I transferred into the University of Toronto. And when I moved to Toronto, that's when I met like queer people. Like I had met gay people in Rochester, but I met queer people in Toronto. And like that, I think is where my life truly started to take 
an excellent turn because getting out of the US, I think was really, really important to be able to look back um, and start to understand some of the ways that the US is really messed up just by comparison. Like, oh, my friends in Canada all had health insurance and they could do art things because they weren't afraid of hurting themselves because <laughs> they could go to the hospital, you know, and there was grants for like our friends who were creative, even gay people to make art, you know, and it just, I was like, what is this wonderland? And my Canadian friends were like, it's called social democracy. Like it's not a new, this is just a different place, you know? And so like a combination of that and meeting queer people who are radical um, brought me up. Like I was still sort of like vaguely, you know, definitely vestiges of like libertarianism definitely had not had an opportunity to like understand and confront my like my whiteness and like white privilege, you know, until I got to Canada and people were having these conversations and, um, you know, were kind enough to be like, get, get right, <laughs> you know, get right and come with us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, and when you were in Canada, you were like Supreme Hustler, uh, like, graduate level supreme hustler like I feel like you because you were like not able to work right and so you had to like figure out how to like be off the books and make your life work in order to be where you wanted to be yeah I mean both like when I was in college I didn't work did I no I I made a deal, I made a deal with the devil with my dad to like do very light administrative work for his business. And he like paid me a couple hundred bucks a month, which was like a tax write-off for him. And I know that's how he thinks about things. <laughs> and like, you know, because of the exchange rate, it was like just enough for me to live on. Um, so, but was I like truly laboring? No. Was I totally privileged in that? Yes. Um and then after that all blew up and stopped, I started doing medical testing studies, which is like anyone can do. You don't have to be a citizen. Um, and then, you know, I mean, the big thing for me moving to Toronto was like I met my first butch woman and had my first like butch femme love. Um, and it was like, like if I thought that first kiss with like a woman was like blowing my mind, this was like every possible thing I could imagine that could blow in my brain blue um, in the best ways possible. And so, you know, I was like so in love. It was the most like beautiful experience of my life. And after I graduated, I stayed around and figured out ways to like work that were under the table. Mm, I love that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, that first butch femme love. Um, did she have a motorcycle? No, but there was a lot of like thematic motorcycle play in our lives <laughs> okay <laughs> I mean look we're 23 22 we're broke <laughs> you know but like um yeah there was lots of like motorcycle boots and like it was games it was like all like really fun like dress-up games oh I love that um fun. I feel like I've heard stories about um a, did you get married in Toronto I had a wedding ceremony. You had a wedding Toronto. ceremony. Okay. I was but like trying to remember, but I heard, cause I heard some legend before we even were friends. I think like I heard about your wedding. <laughs> uh, it was epic. It was 2003. Canada had just said that gay marriage was legal for immigration purposes. And me and my girlfriend at the time were like, Oh, finally. Okay, great. We're going to figure this out. Um, 
And we're like, what do we have to do? Oh, you have to have a ceremony and submit documentation and da da da. We're like, great. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's just do it in like two weeks. Um, no big deal. Our parents refused to come because they were haters. And that made it a Gaylord free for all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was like, honestly, one of the best parties I've ever thrown. I'm still very proud. Um, you know, this is back when like, not only was I drinking, but I was drinking like a lot <laughs> all the time in the sort of heyday of the debauchery of my life. And um, it, it was great. Like, yeah, no, we had this party. Like I had a friend who pretended to be like Jesus chained to a cross, like at the altar. Wow. We staged the second coming of Christ. Um, my friend Blake, RIP. Um, yeah. Uh, like, like, we had two other friends who were like angels, quote angels who came in with little horns. And then Blake came in and was like, is this a gay marriage? And we were like, yeah. And he was like, well, I'm God and I approve, you know, like it was back when it was so new that like, that was a political point of view, you know? And so we did this whole thing. We had this whole party. It was just ridiculous. <laughs> um, but then we were like, oh, wait, you have to file a marriage certificate. Wait. And you have to file all this other paperwork. And we were like, oh, we don't have this kind of money. You know, like I can barely make rent and have food. Like how am I supposed to find a couple hundred bucks for um, these certificates and a thousand dollars for this application? And so it was this experience of being like, oh, well, I mean, that party was fun. <laughs> Um, I don't know how this other thing is going to work. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Um, what brought you to New York? I mean, frankly, it's like after, after like living in, in, in Toronto for a couple of years and like, you know, doing what I could do, working under the table, I was just kind of like, I can't be ambitious and be here. Um, and so I just applied for, I was like, I gotta go back to the U S like, this is not working. Um, <clears throat> and I don't have the resources or the knowledge or like any adult support to <laughs> help me figure out how to make it work. So I gotta, I gotta go back where at least it's a little easier, um, to figure it out. <clears throat> so I just applied to jobs at random all over the country and got a job in New York city. And that's how I ended up moving here. Wow. Fully random. Yeah. I didn't realize it was random. I thought you were like, had your... I love this conversation. I feel like I'm learning more about you than I knew living with you for four years. Um, <laughs> but we, I, you know, it's not common to like dig into a backstory. Right. Um, true. So you, um, I think the thing I'm most excited to share other than like your story for anyone who, you know, sees themselves in it, but like, is the thing you've created ride free, fearless money, which is your, um, what would you call it? Like a financial, it used to be like financial coaching, but now I feel like it's like financial literacy for like DIYs and weirdos. I think that's accurate. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I started Ride Free Fearless Money um, five years ago, which is wild, but that was in 2015. Um, <clears throat> and I started at a time in my life when I was kind of beginning my own journey of trying to figure out how to not feel messed up about money. Like, I mean, even in telling you my backstory, right? Like, like so much of my life was feeling super thwarted by like wishing I had resources that I didn't have, um, you know, and going back and forth between feeling like super frustrated and super fearful and like super stressed out and super resentful and those feelings suck, all of them. <laughs> um, and at some point I was like, well, 
you know, I, so at some point I just, I, I realized, I was like, man, I'm just like, keep thinking about how money's never going to work out for me. And then I was like, what if just for a little bit, instead of saying it's not going to work out for me, I stopped and said, well, how does it work? I approach other things like this. Why can't I approach money stuff like this? How does, how does it work? And then maybe if I know, I'll know more about how it might work for me. And that was uh, like unlocked so many things um, for me. And so in 2015, yeah, when I started writing Free Fearless Money, it was a lot of ways, it was financial literacy and blogging from the point of view of someone who is an activist and an artist and a queer person. Um, you know, it's not to me about celebrating capitalism or accumulation. It's about like resilience and resources and like resourcing um, non-normative ways of being in the world um, for myself and for others. And so, yeah, there's like certainly a financial literacy aspect to Ride Free. Not long after I started writing my blog, um, people started asking me if I would coach them. So I said, sure. So, you know, at this point I've coached, I think, a, a little over 400 people, which is great. Shout out everybody. Hi. Um, which has been really magical. I get so much life out of talking to people and going deep into like their experiences and hearing their like goals um, and thinking with them about like what they can do next. Um, so there's coaching for sure, but I also have started working with like organizations to develop programs. Um, I was a lot of like cohort trainings that I've put together, which is excellent for me because it's a chance to do this, like to do the work of like combining skills with like how to think about money as a non-scary thing. Um, just at a bigger scale. And I'm working on a couple, you know, writing projects and I have some online courses with it. So it's really been for me, it, it's been a really fun experiment. And as I learn, I can teach, right? And so that also has been really fun because the more I know, the more I try, the more I do, um, the more I'm able to like be in my authenticity and talk about what it's like to make more money, right? Or to like figure out how to invest or, you know, all the different types of experiences that I never thought I would have. Like if you had grabbed Tiny Me in Toronto and been like, homegirl, <laughs> someday, you will buy all the fancy cheese. You won't even look at the price. I would have been like, are you talking to someone behind me? Like, what are you, this is, that'll never be my life. <laughs> you know, oh. I revel in it now. You revel in the fancy cheese. Um, can you tell us like a little bit of um, like some of the most powerful mindset tools that you've learned about like money um, and things that, you know, maybe are, are useful for folks that, that were great for you to learn and I don't yeah know. yeah I mean <clears throat> the the like beginning of the shift story that I talked about before where I went from my like long time narrative of like this will never work for me I can't do like just my story based in my observations and experiences right like I was entitled to that story <laughs> of like you know money's not for me. People who like money are assholes, da, da, da. Like pausing just to say, well, where did the story come from? And like, what other information can I get to help me think about this differently? And what if I thought about it differently? What, what would change 
if I got more information, if I thought about this differently, like, like giving myself these probing questions was really, and then acting on them, right? Saying, all right, well, what, what do I learn? Like that was a big mindset shift because it wasn't like, well, I have to figure it out. It wasn't pressure. It was curiosity that I went into it with. That was helpful. Um, and I think another mindset shift that I've been thinking a lot about, and I think this is really timely as we're like recording this during like a major recession and <laughs> global pandemic is, is the idea that like we, I know for myself, I felt really stuck. And I felt stuck personally and also systematically. I was like, well, you know, people who come from like where I come from, like we just kind of, we always struggle. And there's a lot of struggle with, you know, with folks who are working class or folks who like don't have adults to just help them figure out what the hell adulthood looks like. But, um, but there's a difference between the like, situational constraints that are around us and are real and are like especially real for like people of color in particular black people are especially real for gender non-conforming people and trans people and kind of queer people in general women right like we can um there's absolutely like systematic constraints that are historical and inequitable um but constraints are not the only thing that we have right we also have choice and these two are happening at the same time and to me starting to dig into well what's the difference between things I like literally can't do and things I have just decided I can't do and how can I flex and start taking all the action that I can like as a form of resistance of the things that I can't do um right there's nobody coming down to be like hey homegirl here's money for a down payment you know I'm like okay great what can I do? I can get really good at saving money. Um, fine. You know, like that's how it's going to be. Um, then that's what I will figure out. And like starting to flex what is in my control was very, very empowering for me because it started to help me say like, I'm not totally stuck. It doesn't mean that like systematic oppression isn't real. It totally is. But it also means that I, I have power right? And both things are always true. Um, but I had to really confront the way I'd been thinking so I could start to flex where I did have power. And I think one way I see this like play out right now in the pandemic, in this recession, is that for a lot of people, um, like income, how much money it's coming in can feel really unstable. Like many, many people have lost jobs, right? So practically there is less money coming in. But even if you still have your job, a lot of people feel uncertain. Like, will I be able to keep this job, right? There's this like, there's a sense of uncertainty for everybody. And so what I would invite people to think about is like, well, you've identified a constraint, right? Less money coming in. Where do you still have choice and control and power? Can be with where the money is going out, what you're spending it on. And there's some like interesting research that's coming out that like, um, people are like something like 26% of, of consumers say that they're very, very interested in spending money locally going forward. 36% of consumers are saying that they're going to like think about the impact of the spending that they have. Like that's a, these are large numbers of people <laughs> for the American economy um, who's usually not as intentional and mindful about spending. Um, but where you 
put your money is something you have choice and control about, right? And again, you might have to break it down and say like, well, I feel like I pretty much like have to spend money on my health insurance or my rent. Okay, that might be a, a, a situational constraint. You might be like, all right, I have to do this part. What about with the other money? How do you want to spend it? Are you going to try to like, <clears throat> you know, buy bread from like the local restaurant, you know, is trying to stay open or, you know, are you going to exchange tomatoes, you know, from your neighbor with like something that masks that you're making, right? Like there's like flexing where we have choice is like a way to remind ourselves that we always somewhere have power. Um, and we get to exercise that when we want, how we want. Flexing where we have choice is also a way to acknowledge where we have power. Yes. Wow. I'm just saying that again, because people need to hear it like a couple times <laughs> to really land it. That's, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. But that's it. And I think, especially I think with money, I know for myself, but with clients I've talked to, we can get really into our habits and we can get really into our longstanding beliefs, right? And we built those and we're entitled to them. They like came out of our experiences and our observations. Um, but yeah, pausing to say like, well, what could I choose to do differently? Where did this habit come from? Where did the story come from? What if I thought about this or did this differently? Um, I think it reminds us that we can always change. Um, and there's always something that we can do to feel more free when we're in, you know, when we're in situations that, that are constricting. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oof, that's, that's deep and beautiful. Um, do you have, so can you walk through like some of your course offerings and things that people might find on the ridefreefearlessmoney.com website? In the ride free ecosystem. Yeah, for sure. There's like, for a long time, I did a course called Calm That Ack, which, which I love, based yeah. on the Kathy comic, for those of yeah. you who are roughly our age, um, you know, Ack. <laughs> yeah, like for any of you who are, you know, at the prime, in the prime of your uh, early 40s, um, or younger or older, you might have seen Kathy. She's a really basic white woman who works at an office, and every comic strip, she gets overwhelmed and says, Ack. Mm -hmm. And... I noticed in talking with clients and people um, and from my own experience that money can be something that leads to overwhelm really quickly. Uh -huh. And so my, my first like course, my first design was really about like, well, how do you turn down that act? I like to call it going from act to accuracy. Uh -huh. And so it's really just like an exercise in intention, noticing what you spend, thinking about what you want to be spending and why, um, and making a plan, right? Making a plan around your spending and gaining awareness around it so that you can feel more in control, right? And like, you know what's going on. So there's that, um, that's an online course. And then I have some like other courses that are built out from that because I've run my own businesses for a long time and I've worked with a lot of small business owners. I have a whole like fearless freelancer course that is about everything from like, thinking about your business model to thinking about your pricing structure and how to make it sustainable to like, you know, just getting real and making sure you have a tracking system in place for like all your, um, all the money that you're spending and you got to taxes they're they're going to happen. So like making sure that you have the stuff that you need to be ready 
for them. Um, and then I also have the like pricing module out on its own because I have, have had so many people coming to me in, in coaching to, you know, really think through how to make their pricing sustainable for them. Often I talk with people about sliding scales and what feels right. Um, <clears throat> so that's really a course on how you can like literally think through what am I going to do? What do I want to charge for it? If I did that, what does my revenue look like? And does that work for me? Um, so there's that. I also have a course that is um, a partners in money toolkit, which is um, in true queer person fashion. It is four meetings that you will have with your partner or partners. Um, it's designed so that you can do it with any number of partners, romantic or um, otherwise, but it's for people who have um, financial uh, interdependence, however you've built that, that family. Um, and it's really designed for people. There's a lot of tools out there for like married, heterosexual couples. Great. Um, but there's not tools for everybody else. And there's so many other ways <laughs> that we put, put our lives together with people. Um, so it's really a, a way to like deepen intimacy and connection and make money plans that work with others. So there's that as like a whole toolkit and video series. Um, including some like really lovely videos um, that include my friends, like adorable um, Ben baby, now four-year-old. <laughs> oh my God, time flies. Um, and then the other thing that I'm, that I'm putting out and that I'm like getting together right now is I have a couple like handbooks. Um, one is about like resilient business structures. One is about um, giving like a giving guide. And the one I'm really excited about that I'm working on right now is like a financial liberation handbook. So it's really about how you think about money and how you think about your relationship with money and how you can hack that to like have a more healthy and healed relationship so that you can, you know, go do all the skills stuff. Because again, I've noticed so many people coming to talk to me and in my own life, right? Like money isn't just money. It's a proxy for how we feel about our ability to take care of ourselves or be safe or um, have control, right? And so I thought, well, you know, there's, there's so much change and movement right now. This is actually a really good time to give people some tools to think about how they can you know, change their perception of back to this idea, where do you have power? What can you do um, to ease some of the uncertainty and set, set folks up to be able to move into the next phase of whatever's coming next for all of us with like a bit more intentional ground under their feet. I love this. I also love how much, I mean, I just want to point out too that you've created Ride Free all on the side from having a nine to five job. That is correct, 100%. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about like your time management and like how you kind of organize your priorities? Yeah, I, um, I'm like a deep time boxer. I'm like, this is the time for this. That time is over. Now I go on to my next task. So there's like what's called the Pareto principle, which is like, have you heard this, Bevan? It's I, the like- The name is familiar. Is it the 11 minutes thing? Um, that's Pomodoro, which is like 25 minutes on, five minutes off, but all good. Pareto's principle is that the amount of time that you give to something um, 
the amount of perceived time you have to get something done is the amount of time it'll take to do the thing. And so if you're like, yeah, I have like two, three weeks for this, it'll take two, three weeks. If you're like, I have Friday for this, it, you do what you can do on Friday, <laughs> you know? And so I'm a big believer that, you know, perfection is patriarchy. You know, while I always strive to be like accurate in, in what I share, I'm like, look, I'm a one, one femme operation. Um, I would much rather get information out and have it be perfect later. Um, so yeah, I time box, I get things done to like, you know, the very best that I can in my time box and keep it moving. Uh, you know, I'm also, I think just very good at like super focusing at work and that enables me to like leave work at work. Um, and then super focusing on whatever my other projects are so that I can like give it my attention. And part of the way I do that is that like, if I'm at my desk, my phone is off. I'm not texting and this and that because that, you know, there's a ton of research that um, <clears throat> multitasking is actually inefficient. Like you can't hold focus, which means you really can't get your stuff done, which means if I only have Friday to do this, I'm not multitasking. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think that's part of my time management too. And maybe I'm just like lucky to have come up in the nineties, but I'm like, Oh God, phone, you're so annoying. Um, ding, ding, ding. You want things from me? No, you're going off. But that I think is like probably like one of my other big skills. And I also just love to focus and like go do deep work. I think it feels very satisfying. Oh. I like that you know that about yourself, that you love focus. Because people, I've read that too, that um, multitasking, it takes you 11 minutes to get back into focus after you're interrupted and people are very frequently interrupted just in our workplaces or especially at home. Now, if you're working from home, you're constantly interrupted. And so it's your responsibility to time block and figure out how to like have good boundaries. And like, really it's all like emotional boundary work. Totally. And like deciding that like you are worthy of focus and your project is worthy of focus. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like, and also it's something I hear a lot too, is success is about subtraction, not about mm -hmm. it. So it's really about like the habits you cultivate and like stay consistent with and, and keep moving on. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like over the last couple of years, like I, I started off my, like my professional, it's all professional, but like my more daytime career, like eventually after many years of being not just an artist and like a touring performance artist, but also the touring performance artist who was willing to like archive the video and photos afterwards and make the website and make the poster, I started to learn how to professionalize those skills. And so I like worked for a publishing company for a little bit, then the 2009 recession hit, then I ended up working for, yeah, as a communications director for a nonviolent communication um, org. That's when we lived together. Um, and so I was like doing website and print design and PR. And then I was also in grad school at that time. Um, self-funded by the way, no, no debt for grad school. I was so proud of you. No, I mean, well, self-funded and importantly, someone died in my family and I got $11,000. Okay. Um, and so, you know, privilege funded and otherwise self-funded. Yes. But I worked part-time. I paid for the rest of it. Um, I was very tired at the end, <laughs> but I did, um, 
a certificate in interactive technology and pedagogy in grad school that like got me into thinking about how people learn digitally um, and thinking about like really starting to understand technology at a level that I hadn't before. And so after grad school, I worked, um, I was a worker owner at a technology cooperative for a couple of years, building like back ends of interfaces for progressive orgs. And I loved that work, but it just wasn't um, for me like financially sustainable. Um, so I moved over to a nonprofit at, and ended up being the data and technology director for them. Loved those people so much, but also at some point was like, man, I got to make a, like above median income um, for myself, for my goals, for my mom, you know? And so then I like bumped over into working into t in tech and I've like kind of gotten more specialized each time. Um, but in all of these jobs that I've had, I've learned something every time. And, you know, from like being, you know, being organized in project management, but also thinking about the most not just the most efficient process to get things done, that's, that's project management, but what's the most if, like, effective thing you can get done, right? Like that's the higher level sort of like I, more important operational question to what you were saying earlier, Bevan. Like you can be really efficient at getting something done, but if you don't know that it's a thing people want, if you don't, if you haven't done some work to be like, hey, does anyone in the world want to read this? Then it, you can get it done on Friday, but now what, right? So for me, like the, the courses that I've made and the books that I've put out for Ride Free, they're all based on like feedback that I've gotten directly from folks I've worked with, right? And like when, when enough people have come to me in coaching and asked the same question, I'm like, okay, time for me to <laughs> like put something out about this because I see a need. Um, and there's like a whole bunch of like, you know, design principles and like approaches that I've learned through the work that I've done that I bring into my work as a coach that I think has transformed, like deeply leveled up <laughs> the work that I get to do because now I'm bringing like design thinking into, into the work. And to me, what I, what I love about like a design thinking approach is that it tells you <sighs> ideas are cheap the idea that you can execute and that people want um, is the one to go for. As a business owner, that's like super important, right? But if you flip it to like personal work, there's always like tons of priorities that we have, tons of things that we each of us individually wants. Um, but none of us can execute tons of things. So how do you pick one to start with? <laughs> um, and with money and tasks in particular, I think we can get real snarled with like, well, I have this goal and I want to do this thing and this other thing's going on. It, there's a lot of noise in our minds. So I really love being able to bring in clarifying approaches to say like, well, yeah, there's like four things you could work on right now. Like what one is going to like make you feel most connected to your values? Well, let's list out your values. Let's put them in order. What's the top value for you right now? Okay, great. What of your money tasks is most connected to that value? start there, right? Like that's, you can order your tasks that way and actually not just get important shit done, but also like feed the most alive part of your spirit while you're doing it. And so that's, I think where I've started to have a ton of fun and like started to really like bring in, um, to see like cross seating between like the different, um, the different work that I do.
And that's so, that, yeah, wow. That's amazing. So few people really even ever take the time to write out what their values are and let alone like prioritize them. But it's actually a very, a very juicy task to take on simply because it gives you so much clarity with almost everything else because almost everything is solved by priority. And if you're able to really identify like what are your values and then what are the, what's the order of priority and like, you know, just kind of run, run that cycle, you'll figure out the answer to your question. Um, totally. One of my friends said to me, like, <clears throat> like, show me how you spend your time and I'll tell you what your priorities are. Ooh. But I think we can translate that. Show me how you spend your money. And then, you know, I don't, I don't really want to tell anyone what their priorities are. But again, if you were to like pause, write down everything you spent money on the last month, that's just a snapshot of how you prioritize, whether or not that's what you have a mental model around, you have data, yeah. <laughs> um, which is why like, you know, in Calm That Act with my clients, I have people write down what you literally have spent money on because it's like so important to like stop, get the facts and then just assess how you feel about them. You might look at that and be like, yep, looks good to me. It's a totally fine outcome. You might look at that and be like, huh, <laughs> hmm, interesting. I just learned something. And then you get to decide if you want to reprioritize to your point, right? Yeah, totally. We live in such a convenience-driven shortcut culture that people get caught up in just throwing money at the convenience rather than thinking about, well, if I'm Ubering everywhere instead of taking the subway, that changes how much money I have available to do what I think is my actual priority. But, you know, but again, if you're really short on time and Ubering everywhere saves you time, then you're able to spend, and time is the currency of the wealthy because we all just get the same amount of time. And um, so if somebody has money, but not time, then, you know, what kind of wealth do they really have? Right. So. Yeah. Financial only. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, And it's like, there's a, a finance writer who I follow who's got this idea that's like pick one or two things that like bring you the most joy right or you know really like hit your values or hit your goals and just let yourself spend money on them just say you know I mean as long as it's not going to like ruin you right as long as let's make sure your other goals are at play like you keep your housing da 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 he's like but pick one or two things that you really just make you feel great and you are allowed to spend money on them and then deprioritize everything else Right. So maybe for someone that is like, I just never want to take public transit ever again. And I feel so much like ease and self-care when I'm taking, when someone else is giving me a ride, I don't have to have my own car. Okay, great. That's your priority. You know, for me, when I think about it, like one of my priority items is traveling, you know, none of us are doing a lot of right now, but like when I turned 40 last year, I went on a big road trip with my dear friend and I decided to like upgrade my upgrade and rent a like sports car to drive around. And it was only like, you know, 200 bucks more than it might've been otherwise for a month. So 50 bucks a week for total joy. Every time I got into out of and was driving that car, huh. you know, like that's a great, did I have to spend that? Was it like, no, was it wasteful? No, it like was a great use of money because it, gave me something that I want like to there's like like having money is good it lets you get things you want it lets you provide for yourself and others great that's that's wonderful (laughs) you know so 
So if you're going to go through all the trouble of figuring out how to make money, enjoy using it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love that. Um, Damien, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom on my podcast. I feel like I could talk to you about a trillion other things. You are such a multi-talented expert, including, you know, dating and all sorts of other things, but for another time. For another time. Well, thank you, Bevan, for having me. And like, shout out to everyone who's listening to this podcast, whatever you're, you know, whatever you're up to. Um, it's exciting to have something that you want to do. And I just want to like, go back to like, when I started Ride Free five years ago, I in no way thought, oh, yes, I should start a financial literacy mini empire. I just grew it by doing things that excited me and interested me and made me feel more alive. And this project has been growing for five years based on that principle. And that's, that's what I have. Do the things that make you feel most alive. Um, especially if you're doing them extra on top of your day job, y'all. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Oh, I love you so much. I love you, Bevan. Yeah. Thank you.